Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Genesis. Tonight is study number 19 of Genesis chapter 3. We're continuing to look at verse 15. And I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shall bruise his heel. We saw in our last study that uh, the enmity that is placed between the serpent and the woman involves the gospel, the word of God, and it is the spiritual warfare that has been raging, has been continuing on since the fall of man into sin and since God laid out his gospel program and determined to save a people for himself. Of course, God actually made that determination before the world was and all the necessary provision and work was finished before the foundation of the world. But here uh, the Lord is detailing the battle that will continue. It will continue for thousands and thousands of years between the uh, seed of the wicked one, as we saw in Psalm 37, verse 28, and the seed of God's elect that are in Christ, the seed, singular. And then it goes on to say, at the last part of verse 15, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shall bruise his heel. And we can see just from the way that the pronouns were translated that it's incorrect. They don't match. Um, first, it's not male or female. It, it's um, translated as it. And then later, they translate it in the masculine, his. And, of course, it should be, he shall bruise thy head, and thou shall bruise his heel. And then we have the pronouns in agreement. And uh, it's actually the way they should be translated anyway, because, again, it's referring to the seed, singular, who is Jesus. He shall bruise thy head. The serpent's head will be bruised by the seed who is Christ. And we read, for example, in Psalm 68, verse 21, But God shall wound the head of his enemies, and the hairy scalp of such a one as goeth on still in his trespasses. God will wound their head, just as it's prophesied in Genesis 3.15. Now, uh, ultimately, this wounding of the head of the serpent occurred at the cross. And that's why in Revelation 13, um, in a chapter where God is uh, discussing 
the the beast rising up out of the sea, which is picturing the loosing of Satan at the time of the end or the great tribulation. It says of the beast, and the beast is a name, one of several that God has assigned to Satan, but it's a name that particularly applies to his rule during the little season of great tribulation, a 23-year period that that was May 21, 1988 through May 21, 2011. Well, it says in Revelation 13, verse 3, And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. Now, uh, God in some places um, pictures the beast as having uh, seven heads and, and, and horns, ten horns and so forth. And the seven heads point to the, the different uh, periods of Satan's rule over the earth. We see this, for example, in Revelation 17, verse 9. And here is the mine which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. There are seven kings. Five are fallen, and one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. And, and again, the seven heads are said to be seven mountains pointing to various epochs or periods of rule of Satan in the course of the world's history. God is picturing the entire rule of the devil, in other words, as these seven heads. And in uh, Revelation, which was written in the first century A.D., God tells us that five have fallen, one currently is, and another, uh, he has not yet come. And and when he comes, he continues a short space. That would be his final rule for the little season of Great Tribulation. And therefore, five periods of Satan's rule led up to the cross, and then at the cross, there was a change in the way that Satan ruled. Because when Jesus went to the cross, he bound the strong man. He cast Satan, as it were, into the bottomless pit and sealed him for a thousand-year period, which would represent the entire church age. Actually, it worked out to 1,955 years. But this is when his head took a blow. It was like a death blow that Christ struck against the serpent. And that's why in Revelation 13, as the beast is coming up out of the sea, and it's it's a, a really an illustration of that seventh and final rule of the beast, of the Great Tribulation. And at this point, the reason why it says one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. Because he had been constrained, confined to the spiritual bottomless pit, where he could not prevent the evangelization of the earth, the establishing of churches, 
all over the world. But now, now he's loosed. And now Satan takes his seat as the man of sin within the churches and congregations. He has renewed strength and power and authority in the church, outside the church, in the world. It's as though the cross never happened. So his deadly wound, the blow that Christ struck, was apparently healed for God's purposes, so God could complete his salvation program outside of the churches and and save that great multitude and and then bring uh, to pass the day of judgment. But that's what's in view here in Genesis 3.15 concerning God's prophecy. He shall bruise thy head. And the Lord Jesus Christ did do this. He did fulfill this verse when he struck that death blow against Satan, against the head of Satan, as it says in Revelation 13, a head that received a deadly wound. And yet, of course, um, at this point in history where we're now living, it doesn't seem that it, it happened, but it did. And and uh, for quite a long period of time, almost 2,000 years. He shall bruise thy head, and it goes on to say, Thou, now God's once again speaking to the serpent, addressing the serpent, and thou, serpent, shalt bruise his heel. Now, now th- this is um, strange or, or unusual. It, it's... It's kind of hard to uh, to wrap our our hands around to, to get a hold of this what what's being said here, and the only way we'll be able to understand is by God's grace and also by following the Word, comparing Scripture with Scripture, and the Word heal, His heal, and again His is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is part of his body, and and the heel is attached to the foot. And we know that God does speak of uh, his body overall as all those that are saved as members in particular of his body, and he's the head. And the Lord views the body of believers that are sent into the world to carry forth the gospel in the day of salvation as the feet. And the heel is part of the feet. That, that's one way we see that the heel is connected to God's elect. But also, when when we look at this word heel, uh, for instance, it's used in Genesis 25, in verse 26, regarding Jacob. Uh, I'll begin in verse 24. When her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red all over like a hairy garment. And they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out. And his hand took hold on Esau's heel. And his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old 
when she bare them. And there uh, we read of the birth of twins, uh, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob grabbed a hold of his brother Esau's heel. And so that that's significant. That's significant as far as God's concerned. Because it says in Hosea, and, and the Lord continues to focus in on, on the fact that, uh, the, these two babies, these twins, uh, were born and, and that the one brother grabbed a hold of the other brother's heel. In Hosea chapter 12, God says in verse 3, he took his brother by the heel in the womb, and by his strength he had power with God. Yea, he had power over the angel and prevailed. He wept and made supplication unto him. He found him in Bethel, and there he spake with us. Referring to Jacob. Jacob took his brother by the heel in the womb, and this is connected to strength, and power with God. That's how God is looking at it anyway. In Jeremiah, in Jeremiah, we, we find that the word heal, and, uh, this is a related Hebrew word. You, you can look it up in the concordance that heal is, I think, 6119, and there's a related word, 6117, and they're identical in, in spelling with the consonants. The consonants are the word of God. The, the vowels are, uh, known as vowel points. And they were added later. They're, they were not in the original, uh, text, not in the original Hebrew. They're not part of the word of God. And so if we have a word that has identical consonants, they are identical words as God originally gave it. Well, in Jeremiah chapter 9, we have this word, heal, but it's translated as supplant. And I'll read beginning in verse 2 of Jeremiah 9. Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place of wayfaring men, that I might leave my people and go from them, for they be all adulterers, an assembly of treacherous men, and they bend their tongues like their bow for lies. But they are not valiant for the truth upon the earth, for they proceed from evil to evil, and they know not me, saith Jehovah. Take ye heed every one of his neighbor, and trust ye not in any brother, for every brother will utterly supplant, and every neighbor will walk with slanders, and it, it continues on. But the word we're looking at is, uh, actually, it's found twice. It, it's translated as utterly, and it's translated as supplant, or supplanting will supplant. It's used two times, and, and, and so God uh, often emphasizes a word that's doubled like this, or the translators did, uh, under God's permission. And, and it's translated, utterly supplant. Supplanting, supplant. 
this is what every brother does. And, and so the word heal, and again, this is the same Hebrew word as far as the consonants are concerned, as heal, means supplant, supplant. And we know it does because of what Esau says concerning his brother Jacob. In Genesis chapter 27, in the account where Father Isaac blesses Jacob before Esau, he, he meant to bless Esau, but through deceitfulness of, of Jacob, he instead blesses Jacob. And it says in Genesis 27, beginning in verse 32, And Isaac his father said unto him, Who art thou? And he said, I am thy son, thy firstborn Esau. And Isaac trembled very exceedingly and said, Who? Where is he that has taken venison and brought it me? And I have eaten of all before thou camest and have blessed him. Yea, and he shall be blessed. And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with a great and exceeding bitter cry, and said unto his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. And he said, Thy brother came with subtlety, and has taken away thy blessing. And he said, Is not he rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And he said, Has thou not reserved a blessing for me? And and then Isaac goes on to tell him of an earthly blessing that is for Esau. And and see here, Jacob is rightly named. And why was he named Jacob? Because he grabbed a hold of his brother's heel. And, and that's, uh, he's rightly named because he supplanted, he supplanted his brother. He went instead of his brother to receive the, the birthright and he went in front of his brother to receive the blessing. He, he supplanted his brother, all, of course, according to the will of God, as, as ultimately it goes back to God's choice before Jacob and Esau were born. The Lord tells us in, in the book of Romans that Jacob, he loved and Esau, he hated. Before either were born, God made choice and, and then things worked out as they did in history but but it all goes back to God selecting Jacob to save him Jacob I love and and not selecting Esau leaving Esau in his sins Esau I hated and that's what this supplanting involves salvation and the supplanting is related to the heel and, and we can see how the heel identifies with Jacob and, and Jacob identifies with God's elect. So that's a second way we see is, uh, I mentioned earlier, the heel's a part of the foot. The foot 
is a part of the body of Christ that uh, identifies with God's elect. Also, the heel is that which supplants, and that is Jacob, God's elect. Well, what is being said here then spiritually, he shall bruise thy head. We understand what's going on there, that Christ bruised Satan's head at the cross. He struck a death blow against him. And thou, the serpent, shalt bruise his heel. His heel, the the heel of Christ, of his body, is the elect, and the elect were found for, uh, again, almost 2,000 years. If you wanted to find God's elect, and, and Satan certainly did, they were his target. He was after the woman due to the enmity between um, his seed and her seed, the enmity that had been going on since the fall into sin that God is referring to here. And where would he find the woman? Where would he find God's elect people? In the churches and congregations. In the first century, second, third, tenth century, fifteenth century, nineteenth century, twentieth century, that's where the elect people would be. The woman would be in the church, and so Satan assailed the churches. He had some success all throughout the church age. He was able to sow tares amongst the wheat. He was able to deceive a congregation here, or maybe a whole denomination over there. But God's Spirit was in the midst of the church, and God was blessing so that all was working out according to his will for century after century after century until we reached the time of the end. And then at the time of the end, God loosed Satan. The deadly wound was healed. And now the final head of the beast, the final rule of Satan would be his greatest and he took over the church, and in, in so doing, he bruised the heel of the seed. He bruised the heel of Christ. He, he injured the elect, in the sense that was his intention, as he came against the, the churches and congregations. He supplanted, in other words, the Lord Jesus Christ. God's spirit departed out of the church and Satan's evil spirit came in. The abomination of desolation was standing in the holy place. He took his seat as the man of sin sitting in the temple showing himself that he was God. There was finally a victory for Satan. Just as Jacob had laid hands on the heel of Esau, and and Esau, again, would be of the seed of the serpent. The un, He would picture the unsaved, and Jacob was continually victorious over Esau in, in concerning the birthright and the blessing. But now, at the last, 
And, and by the way, the word heal is translated one time at the last. Now at the last, the serpent is winning. The, the serpent is supplanting Christ. And, and the serpent is the one that seems to have gotten the upper hand. You know, it is interesting that when Father Isaac is telling Esau concerning the the blessing that remains for him, back in Genesis 27, it says in verse 38, And Esau said unto his father, Hast thou but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And Isaac his father answered and said unto him, Behold, thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth, and of the dew of heaven from above. And by thy sword shalt thou live, and shall serve thy brother, and it shall come to pass, when thou shalt have the dominion, that thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck. There God prophesied through Isaac that Esau would have the dominion. Esau would would uh, win, and we can fit this in with all the rest of the biblical information we know about um, the Great Tribulation, where the camp of the saints is overrun, and that kind of language in the Bible that's in Revelation 13, as well as other places. Um, see, how's, how's it said in Revelation 13? Verse 7, it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Overcome. This is the time of Esau's victory. He is rejoicing at the terrible plight of his brother. That's one of the components of the book of Obadiah, that God finds fault with Esau, that he did that. And and this is the time of the end that God has reserved for Satan to grab hold or bruise his heel. And it's all a part of the plan of God. Everything has worked out according to God's perfect will all through history. And Here we live. Here we are. We remain living and alive on the earth after the great tribulation, the time when that heel was bruised, and now into the day of judgment. And we can see that God has fulfilled both aspects of this prophecy spiritually that was given long ago in the year 11,013 B.C., right at the fall of man into sin, as man was deceived, beguiled by the serpent, God prophesied a prophecy that took the rest of history to unfold in order to fulfill, but it did unfold and has been fulfilled. And and now here we wait, and we're waiting on the Lord to finally complete all else that is according to his word, concerning this final judgment that we're in. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. 
You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.